nómadas o sedentarios. Hemos estado presente ayer, hoy y siempre. Hace millones de años viajamos de Norteamérica a Sudamérica, nuestra América. Hoy estamos de vuelta en nuestras tierras de nuevo. No hemos venido tras un sueño, ni en busca de un mejor amo. Somos humanos que buscamos el sustento para nuestras familias, para nuestras vidas, así como la libertad, la justicia, la paz y el bienestar social. Fuimos invadidos por extranjeros. Conservamos nuestra lengua nativa, nuestra cultura y nuestras raíces. Estás invitado a que juntos de la mano construyamos un mejor mañana. Nómadas o sedentarios, somos seres humanos que sentimos, reímos y lloramos por un mejor mañana. Welcome back to the Townies podcast, where we present original stories and a glimpse into the creative lives of the real people who wrote them. At the top of the episode, you heard the talented mixtec poet Jesus Noyola. An English translation of this beautiful poem is available on our website at thetowniespodcast.org slash translate. You can also hear Jesus on Fridays on Radio Indigena 94.1 FM. I am your host, Kim Maxwell, and the stories you are about to hear were developed in my writing and performance workshop here in Ventura County, California. Our first guest is the absolutely delightful and ragingly talented Sara Y. Noyola, who just so happens to be Jesus's daughter. I guess the apple doesn't fall far from the super talented tree. Thank you for coming in, my angel. Thank you for having me. We just heard some of your dad's beautiful poetry. What is it like to have an artist as a parent? Um, well, growing up, I I would listen to my dad, um, you know, say some of his poems to us. Mm -hmm. And I always thought that it was like, I mean, I thought it was crazy. I, I thought, you know, I'd never be able to do something like that. Mm -hmm. um, but it did inspire me to to write. And um, I I wanted to be like my dad. I wanted to Aww. write. Um, and I remember writing these, like, um, Phineas and Ferb fan fictions. Um, <laughs> and, Phineas and Ferb fan fictions? Yeah, like I'd write... <laughs> I'd write myself in as Phineas and my little sister in as Ferb. And I think Aww. that that's kind of um, how I uh, how I kind of got started as a writer, you could say. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. When did you when did it dawn on you? Like, how old were you when you were like, ah, I want to be a writer, too? Um, OK, well, I I wrote the the fan fictions. um when I was younger. And then I remember there was this one time in fifth grade, we had like a short story uh, competition mm -hmm. in my class. Mm -hmm. And my 
teacher would pick like the top stories and then he put him on a piece of paper and handed him out to the class mm-hmm. and one of my stories got picked and I I felt very validated um, yeah I don't know I I think that that's kind of mm-hmm. where it started where I you know I kind of thought I'd want to do something like that but... do you remember the name of that teacher Yes, Mr. Foster. You want to say, give a shout out to Mr. Foster? Yes. Mr. Foster was like, he was a great teacher. <sighs> mm-hmm. He like collected rocks. Um, <laughs> yeah, that he was a really great teacher. What is it that you get from poetry that's different than what you get from writing another another format? Um, well, I think, um, well, I think that I... I just really like um performing it. I <laughs> I um I don't know. I mean it's just like I yeah, I enjoy performing poetry a lot. Mm. I know I just saw you perform poetry at the Poetry Out Loud competition. Yeah. <laughs> at the Museum of Ventura County. Mm-hmm. But that was Poetry Out Loud, right? Yeah. And there's was. another great teacher in that program too. Yes. Wanna give him a shout out? Yes. What's his um, name? Uh Fernando Salinas. Mm-hmm. He um works with the students of uh, a lot of high schools in the county Um, and he works at Oxnard High School he does these poetry workshops and he he told me about the poetry out loud competition and um, he kind of coached me for it and Mm -hmm. I had a lot of fun and your first class with me was actually the Ojai Playwrights Conference Youth Workshop, which is the week-long condensed version of my regular 10-week class and I remember the first workshop, you were so quiet. And since then, you have absolutely um, blossomed and started to speak up and really use your voice and your words. But would it be fair to say that by nature you lean into more the introverted side of things? Uh, yes, that, that's <laughs> true. Um uh, but writing and being in, in your workshops um, has helped me a lot um, in regards to how shy I tend to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that being able to write uh, has helped me articulate a lot of the things that I'm feeling and mm-hmm. just things that I want to say. And so I feel I definitely feel that I have grown since then. And I'm very grateful for that. Well, I'm super, I'm very grateful too, by the way. (laughs) Um, But I'm really curious then, like when you first came to class, you were an introvert. What was the driving force that landed you in a class where you weren't just writing, but you were reading your material out loud and ultimately performing it in front of an audience? What got you there? Um, I, I think that I... I wanted to be heard by other people. Mm. Um, and I really like performing. <laughs> um, but the I, I started your workshop mm-hmm. um, because my my dad heard about it through um, Tekio, which is the indigenous youth group that I'm a part of. Which is a part of the Mixteco Indigenous Community Organizing Project. Yes. Which we call MyCop. Yes. And we love MyCop. Yes. And we love the Tekio <laughs> youth group, too. Um, and so that's, my dad heard of the Ojai playwrights Mm -hmm. through that Mm -hmm. and he kind of made me do it. Like (laughs) it, 
Hey Zeus, <laughs> I cannot believe. <laughs> and um, I don't think he knew what it was. I didn't know what it was until I was there. <gasps> and then you were like, "Holy shit!" Yeah, I. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> um. So Let- Leticia. Oh, um, Sandoval. Yeah, she drove uh, Rosita and I up to the studio, and she kind of kept on saying like things that like hinted at what it might be but mm-hmm. I wasn't completely sure until I got to the studio but I'm I yeah I'm so glad that my dad made me do it me too I love Jesus he's very talented and I also love Letitia Sandoval how yeah. great is she she's amazing yeah. she's so friendly and wonderful she's my hero and when I grow up I want to be like her <laughs> me too I'm also curious, because you've now been in class several sessions, Mm -hmm. what does writer's block for you sound like or feel like on your way to discovering what it is that you want to say? How is that in your process? Um, You know, sometimes I I do rewrites a lot, and I... (laughs) Yeah, you do. I get so, like tired sometimes I'm like Mm -hmm. I don't really want to do this right now um but something that helps me is writing about what it is that I you know that I need to unpack to get to my piece Mm -hmm. and what tools like what tools do you specifically use um to get over the hump of the block because what do you use I like talking to people about it. I like mm-hmm. talking to you about um, even if it's – I like talking to you about it a lot because I, I just – I like um, bouncing off ideas a lot. That mm-hmm. helps me. Okay, and when I'm not available, who do you talk to? Who, do you, who else do you bounce off of? Um, I talk to my friends. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know – Mm-hmm. I talk to my friends, uh, to Lily. Mm-hmm. I like talking to Lily about it. Or to, Lily Brown, the producer of the yes, Townies podcast. Lily Brown. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, my sister helps me a lot. Estrella? Yeah. Oh, that's good to know. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty, it's time for her to come be in class soon, too, right? Yeah. <laughs> Estrella, we're looking for you. <laughs> um, do you talk to your dad about your material? Um. Yes, I talked mm-hmm. to him. Um, he, yeah, I talked to him about it a lot because I feel like, um, I mean, he's my dad, and also he's a he's a writer, so mm-hmm. it's um, easy to like talk to him about anything. Mm-hmm. So you just keep pushing forward and keep having conversations with artists that you trust until you chip away at it, until you see like a through line in Mm -hmm. terms of what you want to say and how you want to say it. Yes. And then you just write the shit out of it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) (laughs) So what advice does your dad give you that helps? Well, I, my dad writes poetry and Mm -hmm. so he usually tells me, you know, he he likes me to translate my work into Spanish for him, oh. uh, which I do. Mm-hmm. And then he he then like he gives me very encouraging notes. I don't think he's oh. ever given me like um, uh, criticism. Uh, oh. But I so really... Jesus is the best then. <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I had a set. I mean, this is just a question for me. But does when you translate your 
your work into Spanish for your dad, does that help you work through stuff? Just the act of like saying it in a different way? Yes, it does. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. <laughs> it's like the sweetest thing. <laughs> your Boy. dad is just like translated for me and <laughs> gives you little words of encouragement. That's yeah. like the cutest thing. <laughs> I don't know what your name is yet, but I hope you like it. I hope that we can give you the name that you want and deserve. I hope that you give it the meaning that it will need to sustain this, the magnificence that I'm sure you will acquire. I want to talk to you about myself a little, my experiences with the world. Some may argue that I have not lived long enough, and maybe they're right. I'm not sure what I want to do with my life, to be completely honest but I know that I have to make it count for you. There will be moments in your life that you will never forget, whether they are sorrowful, sorrowful or the ones that give you joy. These moments will shape who you are and the lens that you see the world in. I wanna tell you about some of my moments. The first, time my parent, the first time my parents let me bring one of my friends home from school was at the end of the third grade. My parents had bought snacks and had even rented a movie from Blockbuster so that we would have a fun time. The friend that I brought home was named Alondra. I had known her since kindergarten. She spoke Spanish like I did, but she had fair skin and soft hazel eyes. I don't think that I ever thought about her skin color until that day, or mine for that matter. As soon as we walked into my house with her mom, her little head snapped towards my father. Her mother seemed a little uncomfortable. She asked my dad where mom was. He told her that she would be there in a few hours and eventually the woman left. Dad let Alondra and I play in the living room and at some point he left the room. That's when she spoke. Why is your dad so dark? Isn't he supposed to be in Africa? I don't think that she knew what she was saying or the way that it sounded to me. At least I really, really hope that. That was one of the first times I noticed it before I noticed it. I remember looking over some schoolwork that my seven-year-old sister had done over the past year. I was looking at the drawing section and I found one. It was a self-portrait. The drawing was of a face shaded using the peach-colored crayon. Thinking about it breaks my heart. I didn't want to ask her anything because I already knew. My baby sister dreamt of lighter skin and silky blonde. I didn't blame her because I too had dreamt of similar things. I wished for less protruding lips and skin like Alondra's. I felt so much resentment, anger, and a need for something more than fair skin and hazel eyes. I couldn't let go of all that I was feeling. I wondered if the day would come when I would give up, because I knew in that moment that as angry as I was, I was still there. I was scared. I thought about all the people, all the people that already felt the way that I feared. Maybe that will happen to you one day too. You might feel this panic-inducing frustration and doubts, but I need you to, but I need for you to know that you will be so deeply loved by everyone. I want you to know that things will be different when you get here. 
I promise to you that I will do what I have to so that you don't ever have to experience prejudice. I will make it so that you don't have to hear about another Tamir Rice or about how a four-year-old girl was sexually harassed after being taken away from her mother. An immigrant who had, paid, who had paid her taxes and had worked as hard, if not more than others. I don't want you to be afraid to speak what you want in fear that maybe you're asking for too much. I want your children and you and, and your grandchildren to dance in colorful skirts and floral shirts. I think I have an idea of what I want to do with my life because someone told me that they believed that I should write for the rest of my life. It was exhilarating and it filled me with pride and peace. My parents have worked hard, dreamt and fought, so my life has to be more than ordinary. Future Generations was written and performed by Sarai Noyola in the Ojai Playwrights Conference Youth Workshop in August 2018. Oh, Sarai, this piece is so powerful and so brave, and you tackle so many subjects in it. Your Afro-Indigenous Mexican heritage, racism, colorism, as well as a hope for the future and change— how do you get all of that stuff off of your brain and out of your heart and get it onto the page? I do a lot of free writes about things. Um, something that um, something that I tend to write a lot about is my little sister, who mm -hmm. is she turned eight a few weeks ago. Mm -hmm. um, but I just, I, yeah, I write a lot about her because I see myself in her so much. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I just, I, I do a lot of free writes about it. Um, we were just talking about the amazing MICOP or Mixteco Indigenous Community Organizing Project. Mm -hmm. How long have you been involved in their Techio youth program? I've been involved in the youth program for about two years, I mm -hmm. think. Um, yeah, my 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 mom has been a part of MICAP for a couple of years now, mm -hmm. and so she she knew about the Techio Youth Group program, mm -hmm. and she really wanted me to do it and my siblings to do it, and now we all do it. Um, and I really love it. So it's Noyola Town down there now? <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> Excellent. Well, what has connecting with that group done for you personally and as an artist? It has helped me connect with um, other indigenous youth. Um, mm -hmm. And there's this, I mean, at it, it Techio, it's just this like very family feel because I know that they've been through a lot of the th same things that I have. Yeah. Um, and so it's lovely and it, it does help me a lot um, in my art. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So you have written many times about the prejudice and injustice you have experienced or witnessed um, and the rightful anger that you feel as a response to that. 
And about some days, the anger feels more overwhelming than on other days. Is there someone or something you turn to for inspiration when it all feels like too much? Yeah, uh, my family. Hmm. Um, I love my family, and I, yeah, I just, I hang out with them. (laughs) And your family brings you back to hope? Yes, they do. Through food? (laughs) Mostly. Naps? Mm -hmm. Music? Yeah, I I love listening to music. With your family? Yeah. What music do you listen to with your family? Um, We listen to, like, a lot of um, Spanish music, mostly. Who's your fave? Um, Well, my mom loves this singer, Ana Gabriel. Mm -hmm. And I I really like her, too. I like her music. Um, Me and my mom used to, like, sing together to, like, one of her songs. Um, What song? uh, I think it's called... um, I think it's called Amiga. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure, though. All right. I won't think... quote you on that, then. Yes. <laughs> What's your dad's favorite music? Um, My dad, hmm, I don't really know. He likes, I mean, he likes listening to, like, um, a lot of indigenous groups. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So at the beginning of future generations, you say that you are not sure what you want to do with your life. What are you passionate about? What are you curious about? Um, I am very passionate about writing. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I really, I love to write. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't know. I mean, I, I've i thought about, um, I really like my chemistry class, as I told you. And so I'm very curious about that, too. Who's your nerd chemistry teacher that you love? Um her name is Miss Robles, mm-hmm. and she is a very good, uh, and she is a very good teacher, and Aww. she's really nice. She is. Yeah. She makes chemistry fun. Yeah. Okay. Well, she's obviously a genius <laughs> because I took chemistry, and it was not fun. <laughs> I guess I needed to have her as my teacher. Mm-hmm. Um, have you ever thought about teaching? Um, I have. Yeah. I really wanted to be a teacher when I was when I was a little kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and I've thought about it recently too. And I I don't know. I think maybe I'd like to do something like that. Um, I also heard a rumor that you just recently taught your first workshop. Yes, ah! I did. <laughs> and that was a part of the Ventura County Arts Council program, the Poetry Out Loud program that we talked about earlier. Yeah. How'd it go? Um, it was, I had a lot of fun. Uh, um, yeah, we did a feedback loop. Um, mm-hmm. I gave a few prompts for, uh, them to choose from. Mm-hmm. And I really, I really liked that. Um, because I always hear you like give directions and, and things like that. And then I was giving directions and it was a lot of fun. So the other thing that I wanted to check in with you about is good words are contagious. And mm-hmm. I would love to know what good words, what books or movies or shows inspire you. Um, well, I really love Lorraine Hansberry. She mm. is a wonderful writer. I'm ju- I'm reading right now her um autobiography. Oh. And I I really, really love it. I would definitely recommend it. I really like um, the way she she chose to format it and write it. I thought it was very lovely. Um, And I 
also Jamal May. Oh. I I was able to perform one of his poems at the Poetry Out Loud competition. I you was... served him very well. <laughs> you were wonderful. Thank you so much. Um, but yeah, I really love his poetry, um, mm-hmm. and I was so happy when I found that poem. To close out your interview, I'd actually like to hand the free write segment of our program over to you, Ms. Sarai. I would be ever so grateful if you would lead our listeners through one of the lovely prompts you gave to your first group of students. Townies, grab your pen and paper or your computer. As usual, give yourself five minutes or so without editing or judging as you go. Take it away, my love. Okay, Townies, I would like for you to write about something that you love and focus on one of your five senses. So what does your love sound, look, feel, taste, or smell like? There you have it, Townies. Make sure to type up and save whatever geniusness you write today. your door but under if sometimes you feel afraid remember what your auntie said you know that you can always come home forget how far you roam I had a childhood full of dreams now that I'm older fairy tales Distant memories growing up and all the bedtime stories, but I still believe, I do believe you won't get to Neverland if you don't have faith in Peter Pan. It is a flight that you need. Find out you have wings, but but if you know you're scared of heights, take his hand. Better hold it tight. He's gonna shoot to the moon, so don't grow up too soon. I had a childhood full of dreams. Now that I'm Distant memories growing up and all the bedtime stories. But I still believe, I do
That was Jade Hendricks with Bedtime Stories from the EP Farewell to Emerald City. Closing out our episode this week is my dear friend, the wonderfully talented Theodora Holt. Thank you for coming into the studio. It's so good to see you. It's really nice to be here. Thanks for having me. So can I ask you when you started writing? When did I start writing? When did it begin Um, for you? Well, I recently found some uh, old school sort of box with old school things in mm-hmm. and there was a story in there and it was a bit I don't know what it was about I didn't really read it but there was, I read the teacher's comments uh-huh. and the teacher wrote what an epic <laughs> <laughs> wow. it was only two pages long in mm-hmm. sort of 10 year old handwriting yeah but, but that's like she called you epic we need yeah. to write her a thank you note I know so tell me, what is your favorite thing about being um, in class, about the process of writing in class? Well, it, it gives me a space to focus, um, which I don't always have. It, um, one thing I really love is, is being around other people and listening to their stories or whatever mm. they've written. I really enjoy that. Um, and let's see, what else? Yeah, just... Uh, Connecting with other people through through their through their words is wonderful, and then also the the way that we give feedback to each other it really helps uh, with all the with all the demons that you battle when you're writing and you're you're in a critic. Well, tell me about the feedback process. What is it that specifically um, speaks to you or gives you permission to just dive deeper? Well, a lot a lot of times when you've written something vulnerable mm-hmm. or just it could be anything I, I there's no real pattern but you you don't want to read it out loud because in your ma- mind you're going this is a load of rubbish mm-hmm. I don't want anyone to hear it and you read it out loud and off and you're often surprised by how it touched people or how it affected people and and then because they only give specific verbatim feedback there's no room for like misinterpretation of someone's feedback it's very it's just what you wrote about and um Mm. and so that's uh really helpful what other artistic endeavors have piqued your interest oh i know for example that you love cooking and farming and and sustainability um obviously that's an art form how, how to speak to can you speak to that <laughs> farming and sustainability and cooking? Uh, well, I can give you a recent example if you want of Please. something I did creative. Mm-hmm. Um, so I love um, a lot of Japanese specialty food items, mm-hmm. and I bought some of these. They're like they're an apricot. They're called ume, mm-hmm. and um, this time. I, I did the Korean application of mm-hmm. preserving them mm-hmm. and you put them in this clay pot called an onji pot and then you put them with sugar and mm-hmm. you let them sit for 100 days and it creates this tea oh. and then you can add it to your cooking and it has it's like this delicious multi-layered concoction that adds flavor to all and another layer of flavor to all your 
while you're cooking. Well, is there are there other things that you do that help you sort of scratch that creative itch of like wanting to express yourself? Um, I mean, I'm always looking for more, to be honest, mm-hmm. uh, more things that I, to try out, to experiment. Um, yeah, I like to garden. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm an amateur gardener. I don't know. I think your arugula tastes <laughs> very professional level to me. I was a very excited recipient of that. Well, who, let's go to then, who inspires you? What are you reading right now or watching? Is there anything oh. that is like lighting up your Christmas tree? Um, let's see. I've, I've, I kind of always have a few books on the go at the same time. Um, mm-hmm. I just read, remember last time I spoke to you, mm-hmm. um, I told you about this book called Song of Achilles. Well, I just oh, read yeah. the next one, which is called Circe. Oh. So it's all these Greek mythology um, sort of told in different ways. And, um, and then I've got some nonfiction uh, on the go, which is which a friend gave to me called... The Courage to Teach. Nice. So I'm reading that as well. Well, Well, that's a very natural way to segue into my next question, The Courage (laughs) to Teach, because The the Courage to Teach? (laughs) To Teach. To Teach and Chong. Um, (laughs) The Courage to Teach. Um, I know that it's still a little bit new because you just closed out your very first uh, in-betweeners class, which is ages 10 to 13. Um, But you have that in common with the other guest that was on the podcast today um, in that you were both teaching for the first time. And working with your 10 to 13-year-olds, how has that (laughs) changed your own writing process or the way that you think about your work? Hmm. Well, with um, with these kids, it was um, it was challenge it was challenging for them in that they're used to writing for school, mm-hmm. and so they're kind of used to being for- sort of forced into a specific way of writing, mm-hmm. and um, and so I was challenging them to sort of come out of that and just to freely express themselves in any way they wanted to mm-hmm. and that was just get just getting them to understand that they weren't going to be marked on their spelling and grammar mm-hmm. and <laughs> just to get it out on the page um and that's that's always challenging I think you have all these thoughts in your head and then mm-hmm. just getting them onto the page yeah. was um is sometimes challenging so and so this process then wasn't just a first time for some of them. It was the first time kind of for all of them of writing yes. their own material and then performing in it. Yeah. Um, when did they – what did hitting the wall look like for an in-between? How was that like – how was that? Because at the show, it was you couldn't tell. At yeah. the show, they all look polished and confident and brilliant, and it did not look like there was any wall hitting at all that they, happened. They really kind of blew me away because they were it was um, it was a, there was some struggles for mm. me. I think I was probably you know I was probably hard on myself in terms mm-hmm. of being their teacher, and then I wanted them to just I just wanted them to have a great time and and to get something out of it. Mm-hmm. And so for the wall, it looked different for each of them. For some of them, it was um, not wanting to communicate at mm-hmm. all and mm-hmm. just shutting down. Um, and for some of them, it was behaving in a rebellious manner. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I found we did some one-on-one mm-hmm. and I was able to um, 
that they, those were really effective in helping them wow. to break through. And um, sometimes I was just blown away because we'd be in class and we'd we'd do a prompt and we'd sit and write and some of them would go, I don't know what to write and I can't mm-hmm. do it. And then I'd do a private with them and they'd sit there for 15 minutes and just write like crazy. Wow. So for me, it was just really eye-opening to learn lots of different tools to use to help other people to to get through that if you kind of keep keep offering them solutions or keep asking them questions or they'll they'll figure it out eventually but um I think they just need a lot of I I I appraised them a lot Mm -hmm. I only gave them positive feedback Mm -hmm. um because they they're such harsh critics of themselves Mm -hmm. already um I just gave them loads of support I just um, and we also they also gave each other support, which was so sweet to see. Mm. Yeah, they and there were ages ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen. So it was a, this quite quite a broad age range, and in the end, they were all just really um, bonded together in this sweet way. No. The other day when we were in the supermarket together, I chatted to the lady at the checkout while you stood wantingly eyeing the candy display. As I looked over at you, the lady at the register catches my eye and says, She's beautiful. Oh, thanks, I reply. Gee, it's, it's such a wonderful thing you're doing. I have some friends. They're adopting from Africa too. It's not the first time that someone has made this assumption and it always takes me by surprise and normally I just smile and then extricate myself from the situation as soon as possible, not wanting an awkward exchange and not knowing how to respond without a lengthy, uncomfortable interaction. But this time, it's different. (laughs) This time I'm stronger and I'm slightly more equipped And my annoyance levels are beating out my fear of confrontation. (laughs) That's so wonderful for your friends. But this child, she came out of my vagina. (laughs) Years from now, we'll talk about these times and so many others. And I'll sit wide-eyed, perched on the edge of my seat as you share your perspective as an adult looking back at your childhood. You'll tell me about how it felt being a biracial child being raised by a white single mother. And maybe, if I'm lucky, you'll allow me to share all of the things that I'm dying to say right now, but I'm not able to because you're too young, and that would just be unfair. Right now... I want to talk and talk and talk about so many things. I can already see the frustration and the eye-rolling, but how else do I plough through the uncertainty and the confusion? I might offend some people. I'm definitely afraid of saying the wrong thing, of asking the wrong questions, so many questions that lead to other questions, and not all of the questions are for you. They are for those white women like me raising a biracial child. They are for those adult biracial children. They are for all of those people who gave me unsolicited advice when I tried to talk about what I was experiencing. 
They are for all of those people who made ignorant assumptions about our lives and who we are. Like the mums in the playground who would ask, Are you her nanny? Or, When did you adopt? Or the strangers of all races who felt the need to tell me I should put this product or that product in her hair or I should really make more effort to style it. In those moments, I have replied awkwardly but politely, not wanting to create discomfort or confrontation, whilst inwardly I've balked at their assumptions and ignorance. And yet, I now realise that I myself am highly uneducated when it comes to the history and experience of people of colour. The electric piano in our living room has over 200 preset songs. You type in a number and it plays the corresponding song. You have gone through them all and written down on the back of an old dry cleaning receipt your favourite numbers. And of all of those, your absolute favourite is number 10. Dancing around in your ensemble of choice, you twirl and flit and leap, your cape made of thrifted silk scarves roughly sewn together, billowing behind you, your leotard sparkles as you whiz by, your golden brown curls bounce against your mocha caramel skin, your face serenely immersed in the moment. Number 10 plays loud, and as I cook in the kitchen, I take little breaks to peek at you. Sheer joy envelops me as I watch how the music inspires and delights something inside of you. And then I realise that I don't know the name of this song, this favourite of yours, though it's very familiar. So I reach for the piano manual to look it up, still smiling with the pleasure of the moment. Number 10, Claude Debussy. Oh, he's one of my favourite composers. His string quartet was a childhood favourite of mine. I look up and see you twirl past me. Number 10, Claude Debussy, the Gollywog's Cakewalk. My breath catches in my throat and I try to breathe out, relieved that I hadn't said the title out loud. Suddenly, I'm taken out of the moment as the image of the Gollywog slams into my mind's eye. Wham! A children's rag doll. A somewhat familiar, seemingly innocuous remnant of my childhood. This once popular children's toy with its white-rimmed eyes, black face, big red lips and frizzy hair now takes on a new meaning. A meaning I hadn't realised before now. Cold sweat accumulates under my arms and on my brow. A clammy iciness replaces the inner warmth I had just moments before been experiencing. Of all of the songs in the catalogue, you have picked as your favourite a song that makes you feel so free, but which was born of the oppression of people who look like you. I muscle through dinner and our bedtime routine, only half paying attention to everything we do together, as my mind keeps travelling back to the gollywog, the whimsical song, and your sweet, innocent face. Once you're in bed, I sit down at the computer and brace myself for the history lesson I never knew I needed. Claude Debussy had a daughter who loved her gollywog ragdoll, and he composed and named this piece of music for her. The cakewalk refers to a dance that the slaves in the 1850s created to parody their white owners and the promenade dancers of that time. Slave owners would hold competitions where they would pit their best slaves against one another. 
and the prize for the best cakewalk would be a hoe cake wrapped in a cabbage leaf. I feel the massive weight of the history and I feel angry that it's something you're going to have to learn about one day. I feel angry that I have to learn about it. I want to avoid it, to avoid the discomfort and ugliness of it. I'm shocked to realise that in a few short years from now, your world is going to be learning how to deal with being treated as other. That I'm always going to have to think about these issues when I make parenting choices. It's not something I really know how to do, and I know many people, not many people, are going to want to talk about it because it's so uncomfortable. I gave you your name because it means strength. Aziel, I gave you that name because I knew that you were going to have to be strong as a woman to get along in this world. I didn't know that you and your name would remind me how strong I need to be to persist and not allow the ignorance of others to chip away at our souls. And years from now, I will thank you for giving me the opportunity to experience the world in a way I possibly never would have and for giving me the strength to ask the uncomfortable questions, to make the effort, to admit my ignorance and to stand in the discomfort and the ugliness and speak my truth. Years from now, you'll remember the day that I took you with me to vote in the midterm elections. You'll remember how we whispered in the voting booth and how I let you fill out my choices and we sneakily took a selfie of the two of us. <laughs> you'll remember how I encouraged you to be there even though you were worried it was against the rules. What's against the rules? <laughs> you'll remember how we stuck the I voted stickers all over our faces and then took another selfie. And you'll remember how the next day we celebrated and looked at pictures of all the women of colour with their incredible strength and persistence who won their bids for office. Years From Now was written and performed by Theodora Holt in November 2018. Oh, I remember how hard you struggled and worked to bring this piece to fruition. How self-conscious you felt and the deep concern of saying the wrong thing in the wrong way. How did you work or write or claw your way through it? Well, I, um, I asked a lot of questions mm -hmm. to people I know, people of color I know, mm -hmm. to make sure I wasn't going to offend anyone mm -hmm. and also um, I did a bit of research mm -hmm. historical research mm -hmm. for that piece um, and and then I I went with my gut on quite a lot of it because um, you know I think I'm I was coming from a place of sort of curiosity about the, mm -hmm. about things in the world you know a lot of there's there's always a lot of things that I realise I don't know about, mm -hmm. you know, because of having a daughter of mixed race. There are mm -hmm. things that come up and I go, oh, I didn't realise that, mm -hmm. you know. How much writing did you do on or around this before that you felt like you could start piecing it together? Oh, I think it was a bunch of, it was a bunch of free writes mm -hmm. from, um, I don't know, there were maybe... 
at least five prompts, maybe more, and mm-hmm. maybe some ex- even more than that. And um, and then it all there was a thread that we kind of connected throughout, mm-hmm. pieced it together that way. Uh, you are a very image-driven writer. Was there an initial uh, image or a catalyst or or some idea that launched you into wanting to write this piece? I think it's something that's been on my mind to talk about for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that that incident happened with the piano, mm-hmm. um, which kind of shocked me. Mm-hmm. At the, in the time, it was like, I just stood there sort of going, oh my God, this is so weird, you know. Um, I think the whole inspiration was Azzy, was my mm-hmm. daughter for the whole piece. We have, you know... Um, I've traveled around with her mm-hmm. and I've had different experiences depending on where in the world I go or where in the country I go. Mm-hmm. And and they are all, I get affected by them, mm-hmm. you know, and I take them in and I think about them and I question what's happening and mm-hmm. um, because it's it wasn't part of my experience before mm-hmm. I had her. Like what happened to the grocery store? Yes, like what happened at the grocery store. <laughs> I remember when you told me that, I was completely stunned. Um, it, it's so shocking to me what people feel free to say. Yeah. Um, and I'm so glad that, I mean, that's another thing that's really wonderful about writing is you get the do-over. You get to say the thing that maybe you couldn't think of in the moment. Yes. To say, and that's oh, very rewarding. That is very, that is very rewarding and very healing. Yes, mm-hmm. I agree. Well, speaking of Miss Azzy, your brilliant daughter, how has parenting impacted your writing process? Oh, I never thought about that really, actually. Um, well, I I think perhaps that I think about her future and I think about what world, what kind of world she's coming into. Mm-hmm. And, and so sometimes if I... If I think about an issue that I want to write about, it has mm-hmm. more potency behind it because I mm-hmm. think about um, the world that she's coming into yeah. and sometimes that scares me a lot. And so I feel like I want to talk about a lot of issues around mm-hmm. being a woman in mm-hmm. this world and being a woman of colour and, um, yeah. So it just really raises the stakes on every It thing. does. Yeah, you're mm-hmm. right. It does. It raises the stakes for sure because it's, it's about something bigger than myself. Yeah. So so when you get one of these images, whether it comes from an incident in a grocery store or from behind the piano in your own home, when that initial image hits you, it bangs around in your brain for a while yeah. until your head... Usually when re- I'm in the shower. In the shower? <laughs> what do you do? How do you oh, record your stuff still, in the shower? So... Um, there's a few things that have happened. Sometimes I've I've got a few tools. Sometimes I repeat the idea over and over in my head mm-hmm. until I get out and then I scribble it down. Mm-hmm. Or I'll keep my phone nearby and I'll mm-hmm. keep bobbing in and out <laughs> and getting water all over the floor mm-hmm. and like drying my hand and then typing it in or recording it. Mm-hmm. Um, somebody, uh, Tanya actually gifted me with this waterproof pencil oh because I have a glass shower Mm -hmm. and I tried that but Mm -hmm. so I wrote on the shower Mm -hmm. but it took um, (laughs) WD-40 to get the crayon off the wall so there is your idea for all of your guests to see whenever they come over for dinner it's like look what Theo's thinking about (laughs) well then as he started using it to 
uh, graffiti oh, crap. the shower, which was <laughs> fine for a bit. And then I was like, no, we're not doing this anymore. It's really hard. <laughs> I'm not getting WD-40 all over the place. Oh, my God. Um, what advice? Because obviously you're, you're in process as a teacher, you're in process as a writer, and you're learning how to capture the material and respect it as it comes to you, when it comes to you. And it's different for everyone. Do you have any parting words of advice um, f- for a young artist coming up about how to um, listen to yourself or capture it or express yourself or just, you know, any advice in general? Oh, gosh. My least favorite thing to do. Just give advice? <laughs> yeah. Except, you know, do I like giving advice? I don't know. I think probably I do, don't I? <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, let's see. So, well. So, say if somebody came up to you after the show yeah. and they were like, oh my God, Theo, that was amazing. It really, really touched me. How on earth did you get there to that place of putting well, this out I in the world? I have a lot of help. Hmm. You're, you help me a lot. <laughs> I, I would say that um, I'm not someone who um, is able to do this on my own mm-hmm. at, at this point. Um, I, I like having the interactions with other people. Um, I like being in the classroom. I like having a teacher, a mentor. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for me, that works really well. Um, I know other people are really, they just go in, they just can write ev- all the time, constantly. Mm-hmm. I'm quite envious of those people. It mm-hmm. um, doesn't work like that for me. It has to, it's like I have to, there has to be some sort of passion or oomph behind it of something I want to say for me to tell a story. Mm-hmm. Um, I, would, I would really love to be able to write more easily, you know. Mm-hmm. I, would, I would like it to come more easily and I think... It feels like that's just a question of practice. It's a question of just doing it more. It's a question mm-hmm. of setting, getting, uh, having the space to do it. So do you find that it's getting easier the more you do it, the more you come back yeah, and repeat class? for sure. And I think that um, the self-critic was really over the top when I first started doing it. I had a lot of trepidation about it. Mm-hmm. And now it's like, oh, this is what I do. Mm-hmm. This, is, this is how I do it. This is what I do. Oh, there's my critic. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Thank you so much for coming in. Thanks for having me. See you in Italy. Yes, see you in two weeks. (laughs) (laughs) I'm from here. Here's the story. We are the Townies, and we are back every other Tuesday with original stories and a glimpse into the creative lives of the real people who wrote them. I am Kim Maxwell of Kim Maxwell Studio and the Townies, Inc., and we are in the business of connecting people one story at a time. The Townies podcast is produced by Lily Brown, Ken Eros, and me, with studio engineering and mixing by Eros Creative and Sound. The Townies theme song was written and performed by Rain Perry, recorded and mixed by Martin Young, and mastered by Mark Holman at the Congress House. Thank you to today's storytellers and music contributors, to every single donor, listener, and supporter, to our board of directors, love them, and to all the people who inspire us and keep us moving forward. Molly Allison, Woody Brown, Cleo Charpentier, Patrick Lashley, Asa Larmanth, Olivia Lures, Amaury Sagron, April Theriault, Marissa Utz, and so many more. 
This podcast was made possible in part by a generous grant from the Ojai Arts Commission and the City of Ojai. You can find out more about us and today's storytellers at thetowniespodcast.org. Thank you for listening. How's it feel? Is it it weird to have the earphones on? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I, yeah. (laughs) How do you, how do you, how do you sound to yourself? Um, I, I almost, okay, it sounds robotic, like it doesn't sound like it's me. (laughs) (laughs) It's the Sara E, you know, you're a robot? Yeah. Oh my god, wait, it's (laughs) CDE. You guys, get it, Siri? (laughs) It's Siri, Siri and and Sara E together. Good job. Did you? I'm not sure you heard it because you didn't laugh. I did laugh. I was laughing very hard. You just didn't hear me.